Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and joining me today is social entrepreneur, storyteller, and art director, Erin Eddy. Erin is the founder and CEO of So Worth Loving, which is a lifestyle brand that uses apparel and community to bridge pain and shame toward an awareness mm -hmm. of self-worth. I just love that. Most recently, Erin is also the author of the book, So Worth Loving, How Discovering Your True Value Changes Everything. Erin, I'm really excited to get to talk with you today and share your message with our listeners. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Such an honor. Well, before we get into the good stuff, um, we always like to ask our guests, what is your favorite prayer closet? Where do you like to go to feel close to God? Oh, I love that question. So I, my prayer closet is honestly in my living room. Um, my living room is very cozy. I have like 8,000 fuzzy blankets and pillows. And so I close all my blinds and I, I have like these two lights that I like set a mood. Um, and I just, I curl up on my sofa with my blankets and I just, I just, that's where I connect with the Lord. And sometimes Sometimes if I feel like I just really want, um, like, like a, like a, even like more like tighter space, sometimes I'll go into um, my my actual physical closet. Um, and I've got like a, a fuzzy rug. I like fuzzy things. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll go in there and sometimes just like close my eyes and be in that presence. But typically it's my sofa. <laughs> I think that's so important. Just the atmosphere and feeling at home. I think we sometimes think of prayer as this thing, almost like we get stoic about it. Like, well, if I'm going to pray, I'm going to be on my knees uncomfortably on a hard surface where I'll stay awake. But, you know, I just, I love the idea of just being comfortable, being, you know, having that cozy feeling of just sitting down with a best friend and yes. talking. Yeah, I yes. think that's important. Yes. My, one of my mentors, she said to me, cause sometimes we would talk about, um, she has a lot of prayer retreats and she's just loves to help leaders be able to process how to connect with the Lord and how God is not a feeling, but he's omnipresent. And, um, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be in quiet time. I'll be praying and journaling and writing. And sometimes I don't, I don't feel quote unquote, feel him. And, uh, sometimes I'll fall asleep. And she said to me, she goes, you know, so I think you gotta, she's like, I, I want to challenge you that when you are falling asleep, see that as an opportunity that God's asking you to rest in him and with him wow. and to not blame or shame yourself that you fell asleep, but that this is actually some you're posturing yourself and he's asking to rest with you. And that was just so beautiful to hear that. And so now I, I apply that instead of thinking like, oh, it needs to be this like, you know, regimen that I do, um, but just and it, like just being with him. That's so important. You know, I, I love ditching the prayer guilt and just, you know, there's so many things that we guilt ourselves into. And I think the enemy can use that to drive a wedge between us and prayer or make us dread it or make us feel like it's an obligation and not a privilege mm -hmm. and a thing that we love. So that's mm -hmm. a really, that's great advice. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about this has nothing to do with prayer. Well, maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe we'll get into it, but you had a really unique upbringing and I just want you to share what life was like growing up. You had a really cool childhood. <laughs> it's kind of wild. So, you know, I am from the South, but I'm not your typical Southern belle because my parents both were um, raised in Ohio and Indiana. They came down to the South and in Georgia 
and decided to start a furniture company, but their furniture was inspired by New, uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. So I grew up already with like different perspectives from each side of the United States. And then, uh, my goodness, my dad just loved animals. And so we had wolves and macaws and Great Danes and Jack Russells. We had a potbelly pig and uh, we we bred Great Danes. And, and it was just, we had, yeah, when we had wolves, um, we had to tell people that they were German shepherds growing up. So people would not, because they were illegal in Georgia. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Now, were they, were they friendly? Is there a difference between a wolf and a dog in terms of temperament? Or are they just kind of wild dogs that are? We had wild dogs. And so sometimes they'd snap. I mean, and you know, definitely not the wisest thing probably that my dad did. <laughs> but it all worked out. All worked out. We had Hobo and Lady were their names, and they oh they definitely snapped every now and then, and we would feed them raw meat. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was so wild. But you know, when my parents so they manufactured furniture, and um, I grew up just being in the warehouse with my dad. Like they they were they were resilient entrepreneurs, and they and owned artists too. And I mean, artists. they must have been artists, both of them. Or was yes. there kind of one that was more artist and one more entre- entrepreneur? Both artists. They are both like they both feed off of each other with adventure and um, just this unity uh, as a as a couple. And um, I mean, of course, every family has their dysfunction. So I don't want to over glamorize and, and, and mislead people into thinking it was always a fairy tale <laughs> of wild animals um, and artists. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they, they were both artists. And so I just grew up with seeing furniture being created and I grew up with seeing things created and being pursued and, um, smelling like sawdust. Cause I'd hang out in the factory all the time with my dad and, and my mom, um, also helped with some of the logistics side and then was also an artist too. So it was a really interesting upbringing for sure in the South. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you, were really primed for what you're doing. God used that in your life just through that example. And it sounds like you must've had a lot of experience being involved in that side of things and seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly of managing a business and persevering. What, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you learned from them that have helped you today? Oh, so many. Um... I sprung that one on you. Sorry. I didn't give you that one. Ahead of time. I loved it. No. No, I love it. No, I love it. Cause I just, there's so many memories that come to my mind. For instance, my parents, they were about seven years into their business and, um, seven or 10 years. I can't remember. Um, but they were, you know, years into their business and their factory burned down and we watched it disintegrate, got hit by lightning. And when you have a factory full of lacquer and wood, and I mean, it disintegrated an instant, like in an instant, and they had just purchased a new factory. So they actually did not have insurance because it was being transferred to the new factory. So they didn't have insurance on watching their dream just literally like go to the ground completely. I, I remember as a little girl watching it burn. And the one thing that I learned from my parents is that they, they said, they were like, okay, are we going to do this again? Like we watched everything burn to the ground. We lost everything. We lost orders that were supposed to be shipped out. I mean, they were shipping out to like big, big retail stores. Um, you know, they had at like the factory that they had just bought was a hundred thousand square feet. So they were growing and they, they lost it all. And the one thing my parents taught me in 
in business, um, but even so just in life, like you look at devastation and you go, can I go further? Like, am I going to give up or am I going to go, am I going to move forward and push past this adversity and learn from it? And my parents, they put, they pushed and they, they did business for, you know, over 28, 30 years after that point. And, uh, and then eventually they saw it as a necessary ending to close and, but they taught me resiliency and belief in yourself and belief in what God has purposed you for and knowing that he will provide in devastation. And that was a huge, when I watched that, that was such a huge learning lesson for me at such a young age. Wow. What a, an object lesson right in front of your face. How old were you when that happened? I was seven. I was seven Mm. or eight years old. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Were your parents, are your parents believers? Was that faith part of that journey for them? Yes. Yes, it was. So my parents, both my mom grew up in a Christian household. My dad did as well. My dad had had a little bit of a a rebellious wild past in his life. He he did some crazy things and, uh, and, uh, (laughs) and actually he kind of ran away from home and, um, and got into drugs and, and things of that nature. And, and then he went into Vietnam war, came back, cleaned up his life. And then that's when he met my mom, but, but they, they both, um, they both found God in different ways. My mom found God in a desperation to want to believe he is beyond religion and rules. Mm-hmm. And my dad found God out of desperation because he felt hopeless and, and abandoned and, um, felt, uh, like he needed some guidance. And so they both met in these two different sec- sectors of faith. So that was kind of my upbringing was from those different realms. Wow. And I, you know, I'm sure you've carried parts of those lessons with you also. And just seeing that that's, mm-hmm. that's really neat. Mm-hmm. Well, you are now right now, you are part of this lifestyle movement. So worth loving. You've written a book by that title. Where did that title come from? Where did that message come from? And why is it so important to you? I've heard a couple of interviews that you've given and you are just like, this is it for you. You are overflowing with passion (laughs) for this message. So where did it start? And and Mm. how does, what does that look like for you? Oh man. Yes. So I, yeah, I, when I started so worth loving, I had no idea. I did not, I, I like to say I accidentally started a lifestyle company. Cause I, I just, <laughs> just, I just, I just res- responded, you know, I think sometimes we just respond to what's in front of us. Sometimes we're reactionary and we're just like, I don't know, like there's uncertainty, but I'm going to just keep following the road signs. And so, um, you know, I was working as an art director for a nonprofit and uh, the, what the founder asked me, he's like, Aaron, sky's the limit. What do you want to do? And at that time I was new into the business of their business. And I was like, I couldn't answer it because I thought it was a trick question. I didn't think I was allowed to dream beyond what I was doing. Um, I, I really enjoyed my job. I, I was around really great leaders. And so when he asked that, I was like, uh, I'm doing it. I think I'm doing it, right? Don't fire me. And, um, <laughs> and when I started to think about it, I was like, man, you know, I, I really do want to pursue music. I, I had always sang growing up and um, my grandfather was a musician and music kind of runs in, in some of the bloodline of, of where I've come from. And, and so I thought, you know, if I'm honest, like if I'm really honest, and I think anybody listening can resonate with this. If you are really, truly honest with your, what you desire to do, you, there is a fear that comes over you of, am I qualified? Am I worthy to pursue it? Am I good enough? Am I well-equipped 
to do it. And typically we talk ourselves out of it before anybody gets to have an opinion of it and anybody gets to see it. And I was at that crossroads of just, you know, thinking that. And so when I started pursuing music, um, I was really struck by how people believed in what I was creating. And it was such a gift to me. And I, I just thought the gift of belief in somebody else is so powerful. Hmm. And I would love to figure out how I can gift back the people that believe in me um, so that they too can feel that what I felt. And so I decided to create some sort of product, you know, artists create fan merch and t-shirts or keychains or whatever it may be to support their music and, or buttons, you know, pins and buttons and stuff. And so it's stickers, bumper car stickers. And at the time, you know, this was uh, 12 years ago when I was doing music. And so I, I decided I'm going to, I don't have any money to buy fan merch, but that's not going to stop me. So let's figure it out. So I put my home address on my blog and on my music blog. And I said, Hey, Hey buddies, like, Hey family, like anybody that wants a shirt that says that you are so worth loving spray painted, mail me your personal t-shirt. I will spray paint this message on it and I'll mail it back to you for free. Mm. And I thought that I would receive like my mom's shirts and my cousins or I don't know, my sisters or, you know, the few friends I had on Facebook because Facebook wasn't what it is now. And, and, um, I received, I received like hundreds, uh, not all at once, but in, in a course of eight months. And I realized, man, people really want to carry this message that they are worth loving and they want to remind others too. And, and so that's kind of how it got started was, People believing in me, me desiring to believe, to show that I believe in them and then wanting to carry the message of belief that we are absolutely so worth loving, no matter our past mistakes, relationship status, career choice, the history that we come from. Um, We are valuable. We have purpose and we are worthy to be loved and to love others. That just, that makes me tear up a little, just thinking that (laughs) desperation of, you know, anyone could write or, you know, take your message and, oh, I'm going to screen print that, or I'm going to spray paint it myself. But they wanted you to tell them that they were so worth loving. I mean, that is, that's powerful. That Mm -hmm. says something. Wow. It was, you know, what was so moving um, and what I learned quickly in it, um, you know, I'm extremely empathetic and I, I didn't know at such a young age, I didn't know much about empathy. You know, you just, until when you're young, you just don't. Now we talk about it then, but it wasn't what you are and you don't know what it means. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know till you know, (laughs) you don't know what you don't know till you find out that you didn't know. (laughs) And and so, um, I was absorbing just these stories. So people would mail me like shirts that smelled like downy, you know, they just washed their favorite shirt and it was cardboard stencils and fabric spray paint and duct tape. Like it was not this, beautiful graffitied experience on a shirt. Like it was truly like fabric spray paint from Michael's, you know, and, and, um, what was so moving were, were like, they turned into family, you know, uh, writing me letters of why they felt unworthy of love, you know, whether it was their dad never hugged them, never showed any form of affection. So they never felt that they were worthy to be desired and pursued or uh, stories on, um, abandonment, uh, you know, family abandoning them and, and, and experiencing being an orphan 
you and, and not feeling like they belong to, 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 you know, friends that experience self-harm, self-mutilation and secrecy, because they just have so much pain inside that they need to feel something. They need to feel it. I mean, I, I've seen so many different stories over the course of, you know, 10 years and, the common thread of all of it is that everybody in their own personal battle feels alone and everybody wants to carry the message and wants to so badly believe that truly can we be worthy of love? And, um, and how do we learn how to live that out if we so-called are worthy and worth loving? Um, so it, it was so moving to see people's stories come in. But I will say that I learned that it was not about me who who, who I am to tell people they're worthy of love. It was, it was more of like, I just want to remind you because you remind me and we are all equally in this life together of seeking and wondering and asking questions. And I always wanted to make sure and still want to make sure that I maintain that posture because when you lead, if you lead a movement, you can kind of think that you are that movement, you know, and that you have that say. And, and, and I, want to make sure that anybody listening, I do not believe that, but I believe that we are all called to, to each other, to remind each other that truth. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what the gospel boils down to. That's why Jesus came to remind the people that needed to hear it the most, that they were worth loving. They were worth him dying for. And that is, um, I mean, that's our commission to love. That's beautiful, Erin. I love that. Oh, I love that. Oh, thank you. So how do you think, how do you hope that that message, that getting that out to others will change them and, mm-hmm. and will, will change their lives and the way that they move forward from that point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about my personal journey in just dealing with, um, you know, verbal abuse to, uh, co- having codependency and, and then addiction, um, in a, you know, and unhealthy relationships and all of those types of things that I've had to really become honest with agreements that I've made to myself when I was young lies. Um, my life started becoming a byproduct of the things that I was believing. And I started looking around and, and seeing this is not, this is not the, the life that I feel like that I'm deserving of and, and not from an entitled place, but more so just an awareness of I'm making choices and I'm allowing certain people to speak into my life that they, they are not granted that authority to, but I am allowing them to, and it's actually deteriorating me. It is actually harming me. It's not lifting me up. It's not helping me to become better. It is slowly chipping away at my self-worth and my self-esteem. And when I started looking at that, I started recognizing, I don't believe I am worthy of love. I don't believe that God died. Like Jesus died for me. I don't believe that God loves me. I, I wrestle with believing that Jesus really did bear all of, um, lies and, and darkness and illness on that cross. I, I, I actually do not know how to comprehend that. And so I became further away from him. So my desire for, for anybody to, 
to learn how to live their life through the lens that they are worthy of love. My, my desire and my encouragement is to look at the product of your life and to observe the choices and the people and how they talk to you and how you talk to yourself. Um, oh, is a, a big one, <laughs> right? Yeah. Self-talk is typically, I, I mean, in my, in my divorce, when I went through a divorce and in it, while there was gossip and it was, it was really hard for me as a believer to go through that. My inner talk also was probably even worse than those. They just reaffirmed the horrible things I was saying into myself. And, and so that is my desire is for somebody to, that's listening to just to reflect and, and, and to like courageously reflect because it is scary and it is so hard to look into how you really do believe about like the things that you believe about yourself and being honest with them. If, if that you do feel unworthy of love, it was hard for me to say, I, I don't, I don't believe I'm worthy of love. And I don't even know if I believe in that message. At one point I went through a, a time where I, I didn't believe in that message. Well, and how like God is that to have you give this message to others that you're so worth loving. And then after that, for you to come to this realization that you never really believed that yourself. It's almost like, okay, but, but here's your anchor. This is truth. Mm -hmm. And you may not have grasped it totally, but I gave this message to you, not just for them, but for you. I mean, that's, that's kind of full circle. That's, I guess it's not full circle until you believe it again, but I feel like you've gotten to that place now. How did you get to that place? I have other questions too, but how did you, so how did you get from, I don't know if I even believe this to, where you are now, which mm-hmm. I'm sure there's still doubts, still questions. We all have those things, but yeah, what changed and how did you get back there to believing mm-hmm. that God loved you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, one of my friends said to me that they, they thought that so worth loving was a space of refuge for me because I so badly, the reason I started it was because I so badly wanted to believe it about myself. Mm-hmm. And so when I went through just my own personal you know, deconstruction to uh, destruction of my life. Um, I observed the stories in So Worth Loving community and saw the bravery of people facing their wounds, their inner wounds. And it gave me courage and it gave me belief even when I didn't have it. I think that's what we do for each other. I think that when somebody is faithless, we give them our faith. And we give it in a way that is not packaged pretty. Like we sit with people in their mess. We sit with people in their questions. We sit with people in their, in their poor choices. And we sit with people in their bad mistakes. That's what lending faith is. And I think, um, you know, I went, I had a lot of friends that, that associate themselves to God. And I thought, and they judged me and they were, they did not sit with me and they were very judgmental. And so I thought God must be that way if they are that way. And so it made me run the complete opposite direction because, you know, I had grown up in a Christian household. I did all the right, good Christian girl things you're supposed to do. And then here I'm, I'm at the slow drip of a lot of things that brought me to this divorce and going through the, the trauma of that and then met with friends that judged me, I was so confused on who God was. And I had to just be so honest with my choices. But before I was honest with my choices, I had to accept that I was angry at God. And I was angry at people that associated themselves to God. 
and then to wrestle with what that was. And God was so loving and it was so, um, there, I mean, it was, it was, I had never experienced a grace and a comfort from him that was so miraculous when I came to him with all of that pain. And when I came to him with all of that heartbreak and anger and skepticism, because I thought at that point, I was kind of at the end of myself. And I thought, well, I've tried all my own ways. So let's just see if I'll give him a shot again. And when I came to him and I was met with that just miraculous and reckless love, he like slowly showed me like, he is not who those people are and rebuilt my faith with people that would really sit with me and get and lend me their faith and be in my questions and in, and in my mistakes. Oh, I think somebody needs to hear that right now. I think a lot of somebody's because that is, I mean, I think that is one of the keys to prayer is honesty and, you know, it, not honesty with other people, honesty, let's start with honesty with God and with yourself and if you treat prayer as this, like you tie it up with a pretty bow, it's you keep it in the box. You're never going to get there to that honest place of, and, and all of those masks and all of those, um, I don't know, pretenses or the things that you think that you need to be in the presence of God can be barriers and walls between fellowship with God and like receiving what you're describing, receiving that just amazing grace and love and acceptance. So I need, I need that because there are times when I come to prayer and I'm like, okay, I need to pray for this, this, and this, and, or I need to come to God and, and tell him what I know I should say. Yeah. Because I need to be a good little Christian and I want to be, you know, kind of this tough attitude of, I want to do the right thing. I want to say the right thing. I'm, I'm far enough along in my walk now. I shouldn't be struggling with this, but we Mm -hmm. all struggle and we have to be honest about that. And if we're not, we can't be healed of those things. So that is, oh man, that's so important. Mm -hmm. And I, I think something that he taught me in, in some of my inner talk when I there is such a, um, a beautiful awareness, uh, that he gives us and he, there's a beautiful awareness that he gives us when we start to recognize the things that we were believing. Like you're saying, like, I'm recognizing that I'm trying to package this up. So pretty I'm trying, I'm, I'm starting to do this to me. That's like such a gift instead of like thinking it as a shameful thing, like thinking of it as, Oh, like, Lord, thank you for revealing that to me, that I do that, like that I, but that you still like welcome me and so like excited and wanting to hear my thoughts and wanting to draw close. Like I started like pivoting the way I was thinking in those types of moments when I felt like I needed to perform, um, to be with him. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that is good stuff. Well, so you touched on this a little bit just now and what, Uh, you talked about your divorce. So what was it like in, in your book, you talk about your divorce and how that affected you. What was it like for you experiencing the pain of divorce in the Christian community? Because I, I know a little Mm -hmm. bit about this and it was heartbreaking for me to hear. So can you share what that was Mm -hmm. like for you and some of the things that you experienced? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and within the Christian community, I had uh, statements said over me that were polarizing. 
and uh, they were fear-driven, which, you know, statements are polarizing and fear-driven. You know that that's not, that is not God. But at the time, you're so impressionable. And so um, when you go through trauma of any form, divorce was my trauma. Um, When you go through that, people just say things, you know, so flippantly out of their own fears, their own insecurities, um, before they, I I think before they actually seek uh, discernment or uh, seek how to handle something so tenderly and so carefully. I had statements said to me, like, I'm not a woman of God if I get divorced. Um, Statements like, if you, are you able to look at at God when you go to heaven and be able to um, face him with making this decision? Things like those statements um, that I should never have a microphone, I'll normalize divorce for young women. I had those types of shameful things that all took away. Um, and div- I am not an advocate for divorce. I don't want anybody to join that camp, but here I am. And I know that God believes in redemption and recovery more than in restoration. I mean, it says it so much in this, in scripture, where is that? And that wasn't ever spoken over me that he will restore and that he will rebuild what my heart is broken of. Instead, I was met with shameful statements um, to, to make me um, feel worse about myself. And, and that's what I learned um, more so is that the enemy is at work amongst all of us, you, you know, amongst Christians. Like he is just in those statements, in those thoughts. And, um, and I was met with them. And that's those statements. When you already have low self-esteem, you're already insecure, and you hear those types of things, you almost throw yourself more into a deep end. Doesn't It doesn't bring you back to God. It brings you further from him. Right. And, and that's, that's what, what happened, right? You felt like that lack of uh, love and that lack of help and acceptance and, Mm -hmm. you know, just not even acceptance, but just lack of people to sit with you in your pain Mm -hmm. drove you away from God after you had done, like you said, all the right things, you'd played things by the book. What was that like afterwards? What, Mm -hmm. what did that drive you to? And how did that, um, how did that affect you? Yeah. Yeah. It it was interesting because, you know, I think that we, we serve each other when it's convenient for us and when it doesn't affect our life fully. That's when we can sometimes get comfortable when we quote unquote serve each other. And that's what I experienced. It was like, once I started getting uncomfortable, most of my community, I felt abandoned me mm-hmm. um, or picked sides and uh, a community I invested in then now turned and I had, and when you're, if anybody's listening, that's in that right now, I am so sorry. And I just really want to just speak over that God loves restoration and he will restore a community for you. And that, that community may have hurt you, but he will absolutely restore and bring in the right people. And that's what he did um, for me. And it took time, but it also took me owning some things too, because I definitely fell into victimhood and blaming mm-hmm. during that time. After kind of experiencing that, I blamed everybody. I felt abandoned. So I blamed everybody and I became a victim. And um, I, 
I started dating a bunch just to try to fill the voids inside of me that felt lonely and insecure. And I was dating guys and I was in a relationship, a semi-serious relationship, you know, probably a year and a half after my divorce. And when he broke up with me, you know, I was kind of headed in a serious direction. And when he broke up with me, I was devastated and all of my baggage came flying forward. Mm -hmm. And that was when I recognized I was actually in this relationship to serve me. I was in this relationship not to serve others and to know what true love is to give somebody, but to make me feel better. And I, once I recognized that, I started asking God into those places that I was using other things to fill the voids of. And that, um, that awareness brought me into, yeah, just learning more about who God was and what he thought of me and, and recognizing that he is, he is so confident in himself that he doesn't need us to, um, he doesn't need us to come in a packaged bow. Yeah. And I think what you said was so important. The, the way that you were treated, the, the negative ways that you were treated by the Christian community at the time, I think it's so important to separate people from God. Christians aren't that we're supposed to be the representation of Christ in the world, yeah. but we're imperfect. And so if you find yourself in a community where you're not being treated Christ-like, don't let that keep you from pushing in, you know, just pressing yes. into God and, and seeking because, you know, I love that you highlighted that you eventually found those people that could be kind of the, the representation or the hands and feet of Jesus to you when you needed it. Yes. Yes. Well, and you know, I started realizing that I was, I was, I was angry at, I was angry at community mm -hmm. and I was angry at God. And I was, and I remember going to my therapist, I went to a trauma therapist. He specialized in, um, spouses of sexual addiction and, um, uh, betrayal. And, uh, and so I was going to him and, and processing things that I was feeling. And I told him, I just can't get out of bed. Like I'm depressed. Like, I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to shave my legs. I don't want to do the things that just take care of yourself, you know? And I was like, I am just, I am. I'm so heavy. I just feel so heavy. And he said to me, you know, Aaron, de uh, depression, um, circumstantial depression is suppressed anger. Hmm. Have you really okay. allowed your, yes. Right. <laughs> wow. He was like, have you allowed yourself to be angry? Cause I just allowed myself to believe I am deserving of all these things that are happening. And just, that's why I became a victim. Cause I was like, I deserve these things. My self-esteem was low. I just deserve all this stuff. And I just didn't allow myself to just be angry. And so when he said that he was like, you know, depression, circumstantial depression is suppressed anger. Let yourself be angry. I started, I took a pen to my journal and I wrote out why I was angry at God. And then I wrote out why I was angry at people. I was angry at so-and-so because they did this and this and this and this. I'm angry at so-and-so because they said this and this and this and this. I just started writing it all out. And when I started writing it all out, then I prayed and I was like, Lord, please, please free me of being so angry and like this is not me. Like I love community. I love people. I love doing life with people. We're wired for connection. We're wired to do life with people. I didn't want to do life with anybody nor God. And so 
I just asked him, I was like, I am, what do you want to do with this? Like, this is where I, this is how I feel. What do you want to do with this? And, and it was in those moments I felt and playing with him was when I learned that, um, that he wants to completely, uh, reinvent in my mind and in my heart and restore what community is and reinvent and restore what a relationship is like with him. That is so powerful. And you know, this idea, I I just kept thinking, you know, a, a thing that I tell myself a lot is, okay, love does not keep record of wrongs. I can't hold on to this, mm-hmm. but if you don't acknowledge it, then you can't let it go. And so there are things I know, even yeah. that I'm dealing with right now that I've been struggling with the last few months that I feel like I feel like I have no right to be mad about this thing, or I have no right Mm -hmm. to be upset about this thing. And I think there are times when we feel like, well, I don't have a right to be mad at God. That's not the good Christian thing to do, but we have to, we can't Mm -hmm. let that go. If we don't acknowledge it. I love that process of writing a letter Mm -hmm. about what you're mad about and who you're mad at, not to hold on to it or keep a record of it. Um, and including God, you know, I think he, he can handle that. He can handle our, our frustrations and he already knows them. That's the thing. And yet I know in my own life, I sometimes feel like I can hide it from God when I'm feeling a certain way that I don't feel like Mm -hmm. I should. Um, so might as well get it out there. And so whether it's a letter or whether it's one of my favorite things to do is if I'm in the car alone, I like to just talk out loud to God and, and sometimes it gets loud and that's okay. And yeah. That's, it's so therapeutic good. to do that. And, oh, that's really mm-hmm. good. I loved that you. Yeah. You are noticed. there? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, are there any things uh, like when you, do you, are you a journaler? Do you like to journal and stuff or, In theory, or, or is it mainly journaling. talking out loud or no, I love journaling. In theory. <laughs> In theory, I love journaling because it, um, I've, I've been a journaler off and on, and I just feel like different seasons, I I'm more committed than others right now. The last few years I've been bad about it, but I love the process because it slows your brain down as you're writing. And it just kind of helps you process as you're writing all of the things. And there, there's something very powerful about that. Talking is kind of, you know, speaking it out loud is sort of the shortcut version, not quite as powerful, but still good. Mm, I think that's so, I think that's awesome. Because sometimes it's hard to like really vocalize it. Like it's really hard to like put it out there. Cause you're, cause once you do, you're like, Oh, that was in my tone. Like that was in like, you know? And so I think that's so beautiful that you, you just speak out loud instead of like in your, just in your mind, but you speak it out loud. That's, that's really powerful. Well, and the good thing in this day and age is that everyone around you in cars nearby, if they see you talking, they think you're just <laughs> talking on speakerphone to someone. So you, know, you could just be on your phone or that's so true. speakerphone that, that dates me. I think Bluetooth, but whatever. Oh, it does. I'm, I'm with you. That's what my car does. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I love this quote in your book, it's in the chapter called look up and you talk about the anger that you felt toward God when your marriage was over and your dad started off a conversation, Aaron, don't be angry at God. And then by the end of it, he had changed it to, okay, you can be angry at God, but just don't stay there. I think that's so, so wise. Um, so what is, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, but what is your advice to somebody listening who might be 
angry with God right now and Mm. distant, like what is the first step back? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that memory so well. It made me teary when you brought it up because it was such a, uh, influential time in my life. Um, such a, a pre- uh, just left such an impress- impression on me. Um, yeah, because my dad, when he said, don't be angry at God, what he was saying to me was, I am so heartbroken that this is, this is where your heart is because mm-hmm. I, I know who God is and he is so loving and he, he does want to take care of us and he wants us to, um, he wants to carry our burdens. He wants to carry our heartbreak. He wants to carry our weight. And I know when my dad was saying that to me, I just remember snapping back and going, well, I am. So you can't tell me I'm not. That's, I literally said, <laughs> said that to him. And, um, and so anybody that is experiencing anger towards God, I just, I want to encourage you to not shame yourself for feeling that way. And I want to um, remind you that God is not threatened. Um, he is not, um, he's not angered by, by you being, he's not angered at you for being angry. Um, whatever you're, you have gone through that has caused you to be uh, angry at him. I want to just speak over you that his heart broke the moment that yours did. And he wants to hold that heartbreak. He really does. And I know that can sound florally to somebody that is just really um, just at the point of jadedness. I was at the point of jadedness. Like when somebody, when a friend texted me and told me they were praying for me, I was just like, I don't want to know that you're praying for me. Like it almost made me like just so, and it's because I, I couldn't receive it. And so whatever thought that you have that causes you to push further away, any thought that you have that causes you to put your hand up and your arm out more, I just want to encourage you to identify the things that are causing you to do that. And then ask God, God, even if it's, even it's so candid where you're just like, I don't, I don't even know if you're listening. I don't even know if you, you are here. You know, you say you're here, you say you're a good God. People say you're a good God. This is where I'm at. Like, here it is, like direct me in some way to believe the truth, whether it is somebody that can really get through to me that, you know, only they can maybe communicate to me. Maybe it's sending a stranger to say something over me that I'm desiring to hear. Maybe it's through a song that hit areas of my emotions that I, I have been closed off to bring that song into my life. Lord, just, if I, if I want to believe that you are good, and I want my heart to be softened. Like, will you soften it? Figure out how to soften it. Cause I'm, I'm done figuring out how to soften my heart. It's my heart is where it's at. Like just so honest. So, so candid. Like he wants those conversations. I can't express that enough. He does. And then he wants to just as cheesy as it may sound, he does want to romance us. He does want to bring us back into feelings of, of joy and of light and of grace. Like we could, we could be living such a complacent life. Like maybe we haven't experienced any trauma, but we're just complacent. We're just complacent in the daily rhythms and we just don't feel him anymore. And, and we feel we might be in a desert season, bring those thoughts to him and in prayer and in surrender. And he does such fun things when you do. I remember praying and asking God, I said, God, okay. 
I'm at the point where I accept it. I accept that you are who you say you are. So just have a wild time redeeming my life because that you say in scripture, (laughs) I have seen it in all of the crazy people in the Bible that you have done that. Have a field day, have a field day with my life, redeem it like crazy. And I'm just here for the ride. I'm just, I'm I'm here for the adventure. (laughs) And it isn't always glamorous and it isn't always pretty, but he does want to do that. And and so anyways, I'm, I'm going on a tangent, but no, it's a good tangent. I Is it a it. good tangent? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I just want to encourage just the tired soul, whether there's trauma attached or if there is complacency attached, God is wanting to carry whatever that is that you're feeling and praying for a soft, soft heart and awareness that he's around you through, through your daily life is, is something that you can pray for and that he will show up to. Oh, that is so good. And just that fact that I think sometimes complacency and dullness and lukewarmness can be even more dangerous than the trauma, maybe not more painful, certainly, but the trauma tends to drive us in a direction and, and shake things up. Right. And, and yeah. I feel like there's more room for God to get a, a foothold in those mm-hmm. situations. But when we're just humming along in a sort of stale faith, Mm-hmm. There's not a lot that can shake it up. So yeah, yeah, if for the person listening who's there, I love that prayer. Just have a field day, have a field day redeeming my life. That And that reminds me of this prayer that you prayed that you talk about in the book, your bold prayer based on Matthew 5, 15, 13, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant would be uprooted. So what is that uprooting prayer look mm-hmm. like in your life? And how can that be powerful in our lives, whether we face trauma or we're just complacent and stale. Yeah. Yes. You know, and the opposite, I think the opposite of love, and I I know we've probably all have heard that is that it's really apathy. It's not hate. Mm. I had so much hate in, in my heart. And so it was easy for me maybe to even accept love more because I had so much hate. And, but I think when we reach a point of apathy where we're just kind of numb, numbed out, you know, Mm. it's, it, that is a prayer. And, and, and so then, then hate apathy. Like, so then the, if you hate that you are apathetic and if you hate that, that also can bring us closer to um, learning more about God's love for us. But that bold, the, that prayer about being uprooted, um, I, I didn't really know influential in my life. Like who, who was allowed to have influence in my life? I, wanted the Lord to uproot people that were speaking into my life that maybe were leading me down a, a more of an unhealthy road because I was impressionable. And so up, uprooting that, uprooting people that I did business with and pluck them out that might be feeding something that uh, is not healthy. Protect my thoughts, Father. Like, Lord, just protect my my thought life. It's so tender and sensitive right now uproot anything that I've planted there that is speaking into those thought life, that my thought life uproot anybody that is speaking in up uproot any choices that I'm on a, on a road, down a road on uproot that if it, if it's not, if it's not yours, if it's not what you wanted for me, um, take it out. I don't, I don't want it. And I think because I have agreed to so many things that led me down a path of, you know, I, I say, um, 
when you go through a hard time, you don't know if you're swimming down to the sand, like you're in a tidal wave. You don't know if you're swimming down to the sand, sideways, Mm. up for air (laughs) to the shore. You really have no idea where you're swimming. And so I had no idea where I was swimming. And when I was lost in that tidal wave, I just needed him to start removing things, just start pulling out the weeds, you know, let the garden grow, pull the weeds out. The weeds are choking the flowers, pull up root, whatever is infecting my thought life. I just don't want it anymore. And that was really painful because friendships were removed that I was, that I was bummed out about that. I just wasn't strong enough to be in at that time. And um, I believe that God would reconcile maybe that relationship down the road. And he did in some of my relationships, um, he brought people back into my life that, that could be there, um, but just was, could not be there at that time. And uh, business transactions that I had made brought, replaced it with people that he, he wanted to speak over me instead of what I was um, deeming as successful and um, deeming as this will get me to a place in my career. He uprooted those things. And I'm so grateful that he did because the other, my way was just leading me down a worse path. It just took me a while to recognize that it took. And, and and so I'm so grateful that he did, but that would be my encouragement to anybody. It's a scary prayer. And when you pray that prayer, you forget, you prayed it. I forgot I prayed it. And then when these things were happening, I was like, why is this happening to me? (laughs) I was like, why Lord? And he's like, cause you prayed it. Like, is it too late to take it back? I didn't mean that, but you know what? That's yeah. what makes this prayer so powerful. I've, I've prayed this prayer a few times in my life and mm-hmm. probably the most pivotal year of my life in terms of the trajectory my life was going on. Um, I prayed that prayer and it was answered in a way that I would not have been strong enough to uproot that out of my life in any way. And I knew it. And I, and I kind of offered that thing and said, if this isn't of you, take it away because I can't, I want it too badly. And he did. And it was painful as heck. I mean, it was really, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to be that, that it's going to all be sunshine and roses and you're just going to be skipping merrily along the way. It's going to hurt sometimes for that uprooting to happen. But, oh my goodness, I look back and I just see the redemption. What he gives in return is just more than that thing that you thought was so important in the first place. So Great prayer. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. Uh, That's so true. And, you know, in the book, the first chapter, I talk about a breakup that just left me just devastated. Mm. But I prayed and I asked the Lord to remove that relationship from my life about five days before it ended. And so I, even though I was so devastated when it happened, I can see it now for, I'm so grateful that it happened. And because it allowed me to become more aware of who the Lord is. And so, yeah, it's painful to pray that prayer, but man, you're so grateful to see why he wanted to remove things later down the road. Well, we are running out of time. I could be here for a lot longer, but um, I definitely want listeners to know where they can find your book, where they can find you online and social media. Do you still, do you still sing? Do you still produce music? I do, you know, so I am actually in the process of writing a few songs based off of the book that I hope to release to the world if I still enjoy it and like them. (laughs) Um, But I do love to sing. I still sing. And uh, 
I do it just as a passion, passion of mine. Where could we find, can we find your music online? You'll be able to, I'll be releasing it um, through Aaron Eddy. If you follow me, E-R-Y-N-E-D-D-Y on Instagram, okay. I'll um, for sure. release news on that. Yeah. <laughs> But sorry, back to the book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can, you, if you go to soworthloving.com slash book or erineddy.com slash book, you can find, um, you can find my book there. It's on Amazon and uh, uh, it's on Baker Books. And I mean, anywhere you find books, my book is there. And there's an audio book available and I, I actually speak my book. So oh, I love that. Good. Because I love so audio books. It's so easy to do dishes or laundry or do whatever around the house or whatever, run errands and listen to audiobooks. And I just, yes. I love that you read that. That's great. I'll have to get that. Yes. Yes. And it's very conversational, um, which I, which I love. So it might feel just like a really long podcast. <laughs> good. <laughs> well, um, good. Well, we will do that. And it's E-R-Y-N-E-D-D-Y for Aaron Eddy. So yeah. just if people want to find you. And so how can we pray for you today? We're going to close oh. in prayer. So how can we be praying for you? Mm. Oh, I, I pray for, I, I would love for us to pray over anybody that picks up the book, um, that, that they will not read my story, but they will, they will read my emotions and be able to identify my, um, their emotions within, um, what I'm sharing and they will have honest conversations with the Lord and that this book is just an instrument to be that bridge. I, I real that's really what I desire for this book to be. Great. Well, we will do that. Erin, thank mm-hmm. you so much for being with us today. This has been really fun. I can't wait to listen to the audiobook. I read the book, but I, I can't wait to listen to it. And I just know this is going to be really powerful for a mm-hmm. lot of women. So thank you for sharing some hard stuff to be able to use that to bring women closer to God. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. All right. Well, let's pray. Okay. God, we just thank you so much for this time together. Lord, I just thank you for Erin's testimony, for her story, and just her courage to share it in a way that is just so vulnerable and open so that other women can hear uh, their own story in the things that she has shared. God, we just lift up this book to you and we just pray that you would just anoint this book and and the publication of it, that each person that picks it up will resonate with it in some way. God, that your Holy Spirit would just rend hearts, would touch Mm -hmm. people's lives, that they wouldn't just be reading a story, but that they would be seeing you and your Mm -hmm. hand at work in this book and in Aaron's life that they would connect with her emotions and her experiences in a way that would draw them, just bring them to their knees Mm -hmm. to take their experiences and their struggles and their pain and their trauma to you in an authentic way. God, I just pray that you would open doors for people to come to know Jesus through this Mm -hmm. book that wouldn't ordinarily even think about picking up a book about, about you or about the Bible. And Mm -hmm. that through her story, that Aaron would just be able to draw people to Jesus and um, just bring healing to so many people who need it. God, we lift Aaron up to you. We just pray that prayer that she prayed, open up the floodgates, just have your way with her life. Lord, I just pray that you would pour out blessing upon blessing, that you would work in her life and in her ministry 
um, to just do immeasurably more than she could ever ask or imagine, that you would open doors for her book to reach people that, that she never thought possible, that you would open doors for her ministry and um, her business that would um, just launch her forward in ways that only you could do. Um, I just thank you for her heart. God, we just pray your full redemption in her life in every way possible, that you would minister to her, that you would continue to heal the broken places and just use her story and her testimony to reach people and, and just bring them to Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.